0: Thanks for listening to our sermons from Southbridge Fellowship. For additional resources or service information, visit us online at sfchurch.com. Good morning, Southbridge family. A very familiar story uh, to probably all of us. So as we press into this uh, series, as we really draw it to a close... Uh, we're, we're drawing the net, as it were, on our chosen series this morning uh, and bringing it to a close. Next week, Pastor Scott will kick us off in a brand new series called Illuminate as we move into the next four weeks toward Christmas Day. So we really look forward to that. This morning, we're going to be in Luke chapter 5 looking at this story. And if you want to begin to turn there, uh, I want to just share some things and sort of set this time up just a little bit. Uh, there are many scholars who believe that the, the, the gospel accounts in Matthew and Mark Uh, of Jesus calling his first disciples do not actually parallel with this passage. Uh, the calling of the disciples. Uh, the more I've pressed into God's word, the more I've, I've studied, uh, I tend to lean that way myself. I think this is a different story. I think this is a different uh, calling on these guys' lives. Uh, they also believe really because Jesus just became famous, well-known throughout the Decapolis, throughout the region, doing many things, doing miracles and teaching, and that many disciples would follow. But then there was a unique situation here where Jesus actually called these guys to begin to follow Him in a different capacity than simply being acquainted with Him or familiar with Him. And so, as we read this text… Uh, it's, it's important to know that uh, when I look at it, I see, I see a before experience and I see an after experience, which I think is true probably for all of us. We have these before we come to Jesus moments and then our life is different after. And I think we clearly see that in Peter's life as well as Andrew and James and John that's sort of alluded to out of this text. But as we, as we look at God's word, um, I, I want to share some things because I, I believe firmly, and then as the more I press into God's word, I, I, I really believe that Peter knew Jesus before this. Uh, And and let me share a couple of reasons why I I believe that's true. Um, If you look at John chapter 1, don't turn there, we'll throw it on the screen, but uh, in John chapter 1, as John is writing, beginning in verse 35, look what he says. He says, the next day, again, John, now speaking of John the Baptist, right, or John the baptizer, as as he was referred to here, was standing with two of his disciples, and, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold, the Lamb of God. And the disciples, the two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and he saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and and they saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day uh, for it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and he said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. I mean, John, why would John tell us that? Andrew was a a, a disciple of John the Baptist, and when he was introduced to Jesus, the Messiah, he went and he found his brother, and he brought him to Jesus, And and Peter was introduced to this man. He had an encounter with this man whose name was Jesus. And so, when we look at Luke chapter 5, actually, we need to understand context. And so, just a few verses before our text this morning, beginning in Luke 5, chapter 1, and Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 38, and he arose, speaking of Jesus, and he arose and left the synagogue, and he entered Simon's house. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appeared, appealed to him on her behalf, and he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her, and he immediately, and immediately she rose and began to serve them. Get this, Peter had met him, now Jesus is at his home doing incredible things, he's heard him teach, he's, I'm sure, seen miracles that have taken place, but something unique happens in our text this morning. And I think what we begin to see is, is Jesus' real invitation to the mission to which He's in, invited us. Because I, I think here we begin to see that Jesus would call these men to begin to uh, live life in a, in a full-time discipleship relationship with Him, and that over the next three to three and a half years of, of His public ministry, Jesus would teach them what the New Testament church will look like. And so as we unpack this, I just want to share that with you because the mission that Jesus invited them to is one that he himself has demonstrated to these guys, ones that they lived out and that we exist today because of what Jesus taught these guys to do. So beginning in Luke chapter 5 and verse 1, let's just look at the text We saw it depicted, but let's just look at what God's Word says right here. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the Word of God, he was standing by the lake, or really the Sea of Galilee is what it is, and and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Now this is a little different story than we get in Matthew and Mark. That's why, again, I think it might be different. Um, Matthew and Mark tell us that they were casting their nets because they were fishermen. Here, Luke is very specific. Uh, he's a details guy, and he's telling us that they spent all night fishing, and now they're just there, they're washing their nets, they're mending their nets, caring for them, getting ready for that night to go back out, because fishermen would fish at night. They didn't fish during the day. They didn't fish near the shore. They fished out in the deep. So, so here we have uh, verse 3, getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat, uh, sat down, and he taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, master, we toiled all night and took nothing, hang on to these words, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, uh, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help and they came and they filled both the boats so they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees. Hang on to verse eight, if you're still there. Just, uh, But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell at Jesus' knees, saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on you'll be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. I could only imagine that moment, that defining moment in Peter's life that he toiled and toiled and got nothing. Only all of a sudden to have his whole life turned upside down. I think when we begin to understand this text and we begin to understand the mission to which Jesus has called us, we understand that to fulfill the mission, to be fishers of men, there's some things in this text that it tells us that we need to embrace and, and we need to understand. The first is that we must see Jesus accurately, and we must respond accordingly. Uh, I, I completely stole this from Pastor Scott. Uh, You've heard him say this before, and I love it because uh, this is how he defines worship. Worship is seeing Jesus accurately and responding appropriately. And and I think that happened in Peter's life in this moment in a way that he had never experienced before. Verse 8, but when Simon Peter saw it, circle it, underline it, highlight the word it, What is it? I don't think this has anything to do with the fish. When Peter saw it, what did he see? What what did he catch a glimpse of that, that radically changed his life? I believe that it was a true understanding of Jesus the Messiah. I think there was a moment right here in Peter's life that it all came together. Uh, think of what had just happened, right? Peter's the fisherman. And I've been out fishing. I've, I've done the things that I know to do, and, and I got nothing. Jesus says, hey, let me, let me sit in your boat and teach because it's kind of hard for these people to hear. I think Peter was willing to give Jesus the boat to teach, but when Jesus said, let down your nets, now he's stepping into Peter's world in a way that Peter was a little uncomfortable, right? It's like, Hey, look, preacher man, I get it. You're, you're the preacher. You're the teacher. You do the preaching. You do the teaching. I'm the fisherman. I got this. You know what Jesus showed him in that moment? Without me, all things are impossible when you're just doing it on your own. But with me, Peter, all things are possible. You can keep living the life that you choose to live or you can receive me. You can see me for who I am. You can respond accordingly. And I think it was in that moment because I I really believe this was not about the fish. (laughs) If it was about the fish, Peter would not have left. When he saw it, he fell down at Jesus knees saying, depart from me. Why? I am a sinful man. I think for the first time, I think Peter had encounters and he was around Jesus. But, but I think there was, this was that moment, the defining moment in Peter's life when he's like, you are the Christ. You are the son of God. You are the savior of the world. You are the one that my people have been praying for and longing for. And now I really understand it is you. This was a moment of absolute and complete surrender on Peter's part. Now, now the thing is when I look at this text, uh, what, what it reminds me is Jesus is absolutely concerned about the individual. Yes, Jesus preached to crowds of people, but Jesus is greatly concerned with the individual. He's a very personal God, he's a very loving God and he's chasing down individuals. Listen to me, he's chasing you down. He's speaking to you this morning in a way that is unique to any other person in the room or anybody online. God loves you so much. He is speaking to you very uniquely this morning. He will take something from His Word. He may take some word that I fumble over, and the Holy Spirit's going to grab that, and He's going to begin to speak to you through your ears, to your heart, to your mind, and He's going to capture you. Why? Because He's a personal God. He's an intimate God. He's a loving God. So don't listen to me this morning. I'm giving you freedom right now. Don't listen to me. Just listen to the Holy Spirit of God who wants to speak to you and draw you close. Because as I believe it's in those moments alone, you're gonna have this it moment. You're gonna have this moment that all of a sudden when you see it, when you see the reality that God is who he says he is, Jesus is God. Jesus does love you. Jesus came and he died for you and you have that defining moment. It changes everything about you. I think part of the dilemma is that many of us are like Peter. We've had encounters with Jesus, we've been around Jesus, we've seen His mighty works, we've even studied Him. We have the words of Jesus and and we've sat in classes and groups and we've done Bible study and we know a lot of Jesus, but we don't know the Jesus personally. That was Peter's life, I, I believe at this moment, he knew Jesus was in his house. He was healing, he was teaching, he was drawn to this man. This was the defining moment that he said, I get it. Now I get it. Yes, you are the son of God. Yes, you are the savior of the world. You are my master. And therefore he saw God for who he was. That allowed him to see him for who he is. I am a sinful man, depart from me. Isaiah had that moment. Job had that moment. Saul had that moment. Have you had that moment? I've had that moment. (laughs) I remember so clearly the moment that I understood my sin and I understood my Savior for who He was and who He is, and I surrendered my life to Him. And I know that many of you have, but I firmly believe there's some, some here this morning who've never had that moment. You know about Jesus. You've seen His glorious deeds. You've you've studied Him, but have you come to know Him personally? And I think we have to pause right here just for a moment and give you an opportunity. Because everything that we are chosen for the mission hinges on this simple truth. We must see Jesus accurately and respond accordingly. You need to see Jesus for who He is. And so you may be sitting in this room, you may be watching online, but can I just ask you for a moment, have you come to know Jesus personally? Personally. He's not the God of Southbridge Fellowship. He's your God, personal, loving, intimate. He desires an intimate relationship with you. He is the God of the universe, the creator, sustainer. He loves you dearly. He gave his life for you. Do you understand your sin before Him and have you come to that place of surrendering yourself to Him, to see Him for who He is and respond accordingly, God, I am a sinful person, please God, depart from me, I can't be in the presence of your holiness. If you've never had that moment, I want to give you that moment right now. I'm not going to ask you to stand. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to come forward because that's not salvation. Salvation is you coming to an honest acknowledgement that I am a sinner before a holy God who loves me and cared for me and died for my sins and made a way for me to have a relationship with him. Have you done that? Right now, just where you are, you don't have, there's no magic words to say. There's no Bible verse that you quote. Simply acknowledge God, I am a sinner, and the best way and how I give you complete control of my life. I just want to pause and give us a moment for that, because everything else we're going to talk about hinges on this single decision. Have you come to know Him? Have you come to know Him? He loves you, He cares for you, He is the God of the masses, but He's chasing you personally. See, once we see Jesus accurately and respond accordingly, what I see in Peter's life is that we surrender then to change. We must surrender to change. Going back to Luke five and verse 10, and Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid, get this, underline this, from now on. (laughs) From now on, you will be catching men. In this moment, I I think Peter, Andrew knew their lives were about to change dramatically, and and they they expected things to be different. They expected things to be different because when we truly follow Christ, he will change us. That's what he promises to do. And he is a God who fulfills his promise. Pastor Scott was talking about this last week. God's always going to fulfill his promise. I, I love C.S. Lewis in his classic work, Mere Christianity, he says this. He says, Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. I have not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. No half measures are any good. I don't want to cut off a branch here and a branch there. I want to have the whole tree down I don't want to drill the tooth or crown it or stop it, but to have it out. Hand over the whole natural self, all the desires which you think are innocent, as well as the ones you think are wicked, the whole outfit. I love this. He says, I will give you a new self instead. In fact, I will give you myself. My own will shall become yours. Jesus changes everything. And I think in this moment, if we're going to understand that we're chosen to fulfill the mission, we need to understand that we must surrender to change. Surrender. That's the idea of believing and repenting is, is a complete abandonment, a complete surrender of who I am to the person of Jesus Christ. And Peter knew that. Andrew knew that. I knew that right? Our desires, our plans, our dreams, our way of life, our comforts, uh, our security, our possessions, everything is about to change when we surrender to change and expect God to truly do what He said He will do. Now, now we know it it says that they left the boat. What did the boat represent to them? It, It represented all of their possessions. It represented their very life. They left their nets. The nets represented their livelihood, their career, literally their security rested in those nets and in that boat. Uh, we know from looking at Luke 4 and, and here with James and John being the sons of Zebedee that, that they had a family. They left their father, left their mother, left their, uh, their spouse. They they'd abandoned everything, not that they didn't love them, but they loved Jesus more. They loved Him more. They were following Him. This means that they left the comfort of their home, they left their familiar surroundings, the security of their home, the security of their family for what? For the mission of Jesus. They they left it all for the mission because they were what? They were willing to go fishing. But not for fish, but for men. that leads us to an understanding that in order to do that, we have to be willing to fish. See, when we see God for who He is, we respond accordingly, and we surrender to change, now we have to be willing to fish. If God's going to change everything and He's going to draw us in, we have to be willing to fish. The Greek word that Jesus uses here for catch literally means to capture alive. To, to capture alive. it's more like a safari capturing the wild beast and bringing them back into captivity to put on display in a zoo. It carries more of that idea than it really does that I'm going to catch fish and kill it and eat it. One is harder than the other. It's, it's harder to capture something alive than it is to simply kill something from a distance. And sometimes our culture thinks we're simply trying to kill them instead of catch them. The church of Jesus, which should be loving and compassionate and caring, has become the enemy. Now, granted, we are in different worlds, and, and we, we don't just mix, but what do we do? We go capture them with love and grace and kindness because that's what Jesus was teaching us to do. So I learned a long time ago that there's a difference between fishing and catching fish. Anybody with me? Are there any fishermen in the house? Fisher women, Fisher ladies? What? What? I don't know what you're called officially, but you love to go fishing. I, I learned a long time ago there's a difference between going fishing and catching fish. Um, when I was much younger than I am now, uh, my my brother was an avid outdoorsman. He loved to fish. He even talked me into buying a boat with him, my dad and I, so that he could use it. Um, <laughs> but he said we could use it, you know, it's like, well, thirds, man, we'll go thirds. And it's like, so use it 51 weeks out of the year. And I use it one week when we would go to Canada and go fishing. Beautiful. The Last 40 miles of our, of our drive was, was old loggers runs. We end up in this area up in Ontario, absolutely gorgeous, way away from everything, just living off the land. And it was, a, it was a great time. That was my one week I got the boat. Um, But I learned, just because I love to be with him, so I would go do this stuff because I love to be with him. And what I discovered is that I liked to go fishing. Because going fishing involved chocolate chip cookies and Mountain Dew. (laughs) Sitting in a boat, hanging out with my brother, telling stories, having a great time, he loved to catch fish. So, you know, I'm cutting up. I'm having fun. He's, he's like this serious fisherman, checking water temperature, doing all this stuff. And I'm like, and I'm just the dude that's like, you know. So, to the day he died, he was mad at me because I caught a bigger fish than he ever caught. <laughs> and if you're a fisherman at all, it was a lazy afternoon. It was hot. Fish shouldn't be moving. I had a little Shakespeare ultralight rod, six-pound test, overcast, it bounced off a rock on the shore. As soon as it hit the water, huge swirl, 24-pound northern that I reeled in. And I, I truly believe till the day he died, he despised me for that, you know? I'm the fisherman. You're not the fisherman. And I think of this story with Jesus and Peter. I'm the fisherman, Jesus. You're not the fisherman. I know what I'm doing. But catching fish is totally different. He loved to catch fish because he loved to clean fish and he loved it. He was going for the trophy that he wanted mounted and, you know, he had other fish mounted and walleye and all kinds of stuff and great catches, but he never had the big one, you know, and, and fishing is different. To catch fish involves cleaning and, and all kinds of other preparation, and you're buying specialized tackle and all kinds of stuff. I just, I just wanted to go and eat the cookies, and I was happy as could be. But we've heard Pastor Scott say it, and, and this is going to resonate with you. He often says we must wake up to the reality that many of us are over-churched and under jesus We must wake up to that reality. We're over churched and under Jesus. And and I'm afraid when I look at this passage of scripture and we begin to apply this principle to, I think, most of the activities that the American church has gotten accustomed to doing, we don't see the kind of impact because it represents the difference between fishing and catching fish. We love potlucks. We love gathering with other believers. We love doing the things that, that are involved in going fishing, but that's not the same as catching fish. And, and it seems, I know for me, for a long time in my life, really understanding to, to encounter Jesus was different. It, it seems that, that many, many, believers, or we go through seasons in our Christian life that that we don't want to go fishing as much as we want to be the keepers of the aquarium. I've joined church staff a few times, and, and the more I look back on some of those experiences, they wanted someone to come and be the keeper of their aquarium, but they didn't want to go fishing. They loved that I was passionate about evangelism. They loved that I was passionate about seeing people come to church, but ultimately what they were concerned with is that you keep our bubble happy. Some of the most frustrating years in ministry for me. And, and so, I started thinking through this as I was reading through the text and studying this passage, and, and I, I kind of came up with a list of, of keeping the aquarium and going fishing. Can I just share some things with you? Uh, keeping the aquarium, the water is clean and it's filtered. When you're keeping an aquarium, the temperature is very controlled. Uh, when, when you're keeping an aquarium, we choose the pretty and the elite fish. I'm amazed at how much money people spend on pretty fish, only to have swimming in a glass home in their, it's like, okay, there, there's something strange here. I don't know. But, um, but we like to choose the pretty fish, right? One person can maintain an aquarium. If we get the right pasture, if we get the right staff, they're going to maintain the aquarium and we're, we're going to be good, right? Uh, in order to add more fish, we, we get a bigger aquarium. Uh, it, and keeping an aquarium, looks are very important. Uh, when keeping an aquarium, we stay indoors in our comfort. It involves really very little time, considering all. But when, when Jesus invites us to go fishing on the open sea, here's just some things that, some of my observations, the weather can get really uncomfortable. If you ever watch some of those fishing shows, the one off the Outer Banks, Wicked Tuna and some of those. I mean, you, you get a sense of what it was to be a fisherman out on the open sea. Uh, the fish smell. I don't know if you ever noticed that. Anybody notice that? Fish smell. I, I don't know how people eat that stuff, right? I don't mind fish as long as it doesn't taste like fish. But fish, fish can smell. Fish get stinky, Sometimes that rubs off on us, and the fishermen then get stinky. Sometimes we catch weird-looking creatures. Anybody knows that? So it's better done with a team. I love that. There's a principle here when, when you read through this. Jesus was inviting others to do this with him. Do you notice that? Come and go with me. We're, we're going to do this together. We're better. Listen to me, Southbridge, we're better together. Look at your neighbor. We're better together. But we're better doing these things together. We're better doing ministry together. You know what? There's also uh, a greater risk. Uh, When you go out in the open sea, there's greater risk. Water's going to get in the boat. People can fall out. Or if you're with my brother, he may try to push you out. There was some of that kind of stuff going on. That was our life. Whether it was a boat or a golf cart, the joy was trying to see who could push the other out. I mean, life was an adventure, right? But, But it's because we're out there but also we go out where the fish are. If we're going to go fishing, we have to go out where the fish are. There's something I noticed about spending time around water. If people are on the shore fishing, they want to be out in a boat. The people who are out in a boat go up by the shore. It's the weirdest thing to me. I mean, now there's deep sea stuff and all that, but a lot of guys who are into trolling and, and fishing, seriously, they, they like trolling, they start casting toward the shoreline and pulling out because fish go in to kind of feed. But at some point we have to get off the shore and we have to go out where the fish are. When I read this, it was, it's interesting because Peter has this moment of surrender with Jesus. He has this moment and immediately Jesus invites him to participate. I want, you, I want you to see this because I think this is incredibly important for us as a New Testament church. They received the ministry of Jesus and then Jesus immediately activated them to be participants with him in his ministry. No theology class, no training, they hadn't memorized the four spiritual laws or steps to peace with God, or they're not wearing gospel bead bracelets, none of that stuff has happened. Jesus simply invited them to come and participate, come and do this ministry thing with me. And while we're doing it together, I'm going to teach you everything you need to know. I will equip you along the way. To build that out just a little bit more, we see that this picture that Jesus gives us is simply this, once you become a recipient of the ministry of the church and the ministry of Jesus Christ, you are now called to be a participant in the ministry of the church with Jesus. You receive the ministry, you receive the gift, and Jesus immediately invites you to now participate. But we've kind of gotten into this comfortable stance. Well, I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. Once once I do this, or once I do this, or once I've, you know, once my home is clear, once I become an empty nester, once I have enough training, or once I do this, there was none of that. They immediately became participants in the ministry. What did they know? They knew that Jesus is the Messiah of the world, and He loved me, and He called me to come and follow Him. I think sometimes we overthink ministry and we forget that it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. I've done personal evangelism with some incredibly smart people. And I've watched people that I thought, man, this guy's like, a huge biblical apologist authored numerous books on the historicity of Jesus. And and we approached some guys that were were bikers, leather, chains, you know, denim, all kinds of stuff. And and I thought, this is gonna be the coolest thing I ever saw because this guy's a biblical apologist who's forgotten more than I've ever learned in my life. And he walked up to these guys and he pulled out a little booklet called The Four Spiritual Laws. And he said, have you ever heard of The Four Spiritual Laws? And he just, he literally, literally, just started reading this booklet. Just as there are physical laws that govern the physical universe, so are there spiritual laws that govern our relationship with God. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. Okay, great. Well, law one, Jesus loves you and offers a wonderful plan. And I'm, th- I'm back here thinking, do something cool. I'm seriously, I'm thinking, do something cool. I could do that. And I think that was the point Jesus taught me in that moment. <laughs> I don't have to be some author or biblical apologist or or pastor to do that. I could do that. I could read a booklet to this guy. The amazing thing was this incredibly smart man, when he was done reading this book to these these motorcycle gang, they gave their life to Jesus. And it wasn't about his words. It was what God was doing in these guys' lives. He, He became a participant in the ministry. Dr. Bill Bright, founder and president of Campus Crusade, used to just use a really simple phrase. He would say, take the initiative and the power of the Holy Spirit and leave the results to God. You can't save anybody. I can't save anybody. Only the Holy Spirit of God can draw people to the saving knowledge. And I think that happened in this moment with Peter. When you give your life to Jesus, you become a recipient of the ministry of the church. You are immediately called into activation. You are now a participant in the ministry with Jesus. You've been chosen to be on mission with Jesus. What an incredible privilege. What an incredible privilege. This is not a burden. I don't have to do it. I get to do it. Does that excite you? This is exciting stuff. So what did Jesus do with these guys? Well, what did He do with these guys? Because now we know that He's gonna spend about three years of His life with these guys that are are walking away from everything. What did He do? Just an honest, transparent moment with you about my own life and my journey because several years ago, I, I I love to ask questions of the text and I press into stuff. And I started asking a question. To myself, I just said, why did Jesus come when he came? I mean, seriously, I mean, 2,000 years ago, they didn't even have electric light bulbs. Jesus Jesus didn't have a cell phone. He didn't have a car. He didn't even have a moped. He didn't have an electric scooter. He didn't have a debit card where he could swipe the scooter and borrow someone else's. I mean, it's like he didn't have that stuff. And I'm thinking, why in all of human history would God choose that time and space to send the Messiah, the savior of the world. Anybody have a good answer for that? I don't either. But here's one thing that I think God taught me. And when I really started wrestling with this, probably 10 years ago or so, it's shifted some of how I do ministry. Because I think one of the things that Jesus taught us in that moment, because I'm thinking to myself, why wouldn't God send Jesus now? I mean, imagine Jesus on YouTube, right? I mean, you know, imagine Jesus with a Twitter account, not being blocked, just through, you know, being able to throw truth stuff out there. I mean, imagine Jesus on social media. I mean, it's like the things that he was doing in the quiet, intimate moments could just be thrown out there for everybody to know. Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't just millions of people immediately come to Jesus? No, the answer is no. And I'm thinking, what what was so important? What did Jesus teach us in the moment 2,000 years ago that was so much more significant than what we learn today? And here's what it is. Are you ready? This is my deep thought. It's all about relationships. Jesus taught us something 2,000 years ago that we've lost today, and that is the ability to have human relationships. We live in the most connected generation of human history And yet most of us probably this week during a Thanksgiving meal were sitting in a room with someone texting people hundreds and thousands of miles away because they were more concerned what was going on somewhere else than what was going on in the room. And the gatherings become shorter. We don't spend hours and even days sometimes together because we're so consumed with everything else. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. I, I think that technology can be an incredible tool, but listen to me. I believe we've forsaken the mission that Jesus taught us, and we expect technology and organizations to do it for us. I mean, th- think about this for just a moment. We're here today because Jesus' method worked. We literally exist today because Jesus' methodology worked. When I look at at where we are in all of human history, we have more stuff for the cause of Jesus than we've ever had in human history. One book, The Life and Ministry of Jesus, revealed right here. We have hundreds of thousands of books written about this book. (laughs) We have more radio, We have more podcasts. For some of you, you'll understand this. We've had eight tracks. We've had cassettes. We've had vinyls. We've had film strips. We've had flannel graphs. We've got DVDs. We've got MP3s. We've got podcasts. We've got all kinds of stuff. Under the sun, we've got more… We probably have more Christian radio stations in the Raleigh market than any other thing. I'm serious. I mean… They're all over. We have more Christian stuff. But listen to me. I believe we have more Christian stuff in in our culture right now than ever in human history. And yet we're making more or less impact for the cause of Christ than ever before. Why? Because we have abdicated the responsibility that Jesus taught us through human relationship. and We've abdicated that to organizations. Oh, the church will do that. Andrew's going to come up with some great marketing plan, and we're going to do, you know, we're going to do all this stuff. And the church is over-marketing. That's why we are over-churched and under-Jesus. Because Jesus didn't call these guys to church. He didn't call them to Bible study. He called them to Himself. And He trained them and He equipped them. There was prayerful selection that took place. Matter of fact, when we look at it in Luke chapter 6, verses 12 and 13, uh, Luke tells us specifically that that He gathered His disciples, right? Uh, And He spent all night praying. What was so important that He spent all night praying? He was in prayerful selection, it says, and then He chose for Himself 12 that He would begin to invest His life in. If Jesus thought it was so important that He prayed all night and then chose 12, that He would begin to impart the mission of the relational discipleship and begin to leave this ministry with them, don't you think it's important for us? Amen? Somebody? Come on. It ought to be important. Mark chapter 3 tells us a similar type of situation, and it says He called His disciples and He chose them, and get this, that they might be with Him. He chose the disciples that they might be with him. Mark chapter 3, verse 14, that they might be with him. Do you know what it means to be with somebody? If I went with Pastor Brad and Brad goes, Hey Dave, come go with me to Wilmington, I'm going to go, Where's Wilmington? And he goes, that's my hometown over on the coast. Okay, great. I know this great video store that I used to work at, and I know all this great stuff. I'm going to take you, I'm going to show you all about… Now, the idea of going with someone, think of all that implies. We're going to go with. And along the way, you're going to learn things about each other, aren't you? You ever been on a road trip with somebody? There's a reason years ago, 100 years ago, when I was a student pastor, we would, we would take kids to camp and stuff, and my rule was no pagers. We didn't have phones back then. No pagers, no Walkmans, remember Walkman? Yeah, yeah, oh, that's so cool. No Walkmans, no, none of that stuff. Because what I wanted to do in that moment, it's like, oh, it's a six-hour drive. Yeah, and you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna spend time talking. We're gonna begin to build relationships. Because I wanted, I wanted to begin to teach that process that, that you're not isolated. You're not in this alone. We're in this together. So none of that stuff. Because we're going with one another. And, and all along the way, you're going to have adventures like our students when they went on a retreat a few weeks ago. They had, they had a few adventures, right? The bus broke down. Some lady stopped and they thought they were trafficking kids and they called the police. It's like, are you kidding? This is an adventure. Why? Because we're with one another. And in that that process, right, yeah, you're what, six hours late getting to your retreat? You had dinner at 11 o'clock? It's like, you know, they're improvising along the way. Why? Because we're with each other. We're with each other. We're learning things along the way because we're in this together. That's what Jesus did with these guys. Come and go with me. I want you to be with me. And while we're going with one another, I'm going to teach you. I'm going to equip you to do what? To release you. Because then we end up in Mark, or Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28, after about three years of ministry, walking with Jesus, intentional process, they encountered him, they connected with him in relationship. He equipped them, and then what he was doing? He's sending them. You've encountered Jesus. You've connected with him. Jesus has now equipped these guys. What's he going to do? He's going to release them. I'm going to send you. You're going to go multiply. And it worked. Matthew 28, and Jesus came and said to them, this is the disciples." All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of what? All nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them. This is the equipping part, right? Teaching them to observe all things. This is the obedience. Now you're beginning to live it out. I'm teaching you, but I'm loving you and I'm demonstrating. I'm letting you try it. Now you go do it. Teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. Jesus was on a journey with these guys. He invited them to go with. He invites us to go with, to be participants in the ministry. So are you ready to go fishing? Let's bow our heads in an attitude of prayer as we close our time this morning. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, not looking around, I just want you to listen for a moment. Not to me, I want you to listen to the voice of God. He loves you, He cares for you. He's speaking to you very quietly right now. And I believe some of you earlier in the the morning, when we took a pause, some of you just need to come to that place of trusting Jesus. Maybe you did this morning. I wanna celebrate with you. I wanna help you grow to be the person that God created you to be. I'm gonna ask you to seek somebody out. You can stop by the first time guest tent or you can come see me or one of our other leaders or somebody in this room that would love to just know that that this morning you've trusted Jesus. You've encountered Jesus, you've been involved, but this was a defining moment in your life this morning. For some of you, you're just sort of realizing it's, it's time to get engaged, to get activated. I've been a recipient of the ministry. Now it's time to to step up and begin to be a participant. What is God calling you to do? We'd love to help you discover that. What is God calling you to do as a participant in the ministry? How has He chosen you to fulfill the mission? God, all throughout this room, you're speaking to hearts in very unique ways. God, help us listen. Help us listen to what you're teaching us right now. And Lord, for all these things, for all your goodness, for all your mercy, for your grace, your salvation extended to us through the blood of Jesus Christ, we praise you. Lord, with a thousand hallelujahs, we are your children. We're surrendering to change. We're willing to fish, God, and we just wanna praise you because you are such a great and a mighty God. None but you. Let us praise you. Let us live for you because you have chosen us to be on mission with you. And we surrender our lives to you in Jesus' name. Amen.